welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review the show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. I'm your host, Wayne Lou, And for today, I am joined by two friends of mine, uh, Joe Scasharo to my right, Joe Wolfon to my left. What's going on, guys? For this season, that's practically the mountaintop. Listen, if they win one more, they will have done something they have not done all season. So yeah, they, they haven't done three in a row this year, eh? They have not. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. It's been half a season. We're officially at the, the 41 game mark for the Raptors. Five games under. Disappointing for sure. But, uh, you know, the vibes are obviously a little bit better. Maybe just like uh, not as like viciously bad as it had been like last <laughs> month or so. Uh, because they have come off of two wins here. And, and look. Obviously, beating one of the worst teams in the league is not something to, like, reinvent the whole season. And to be honest, I didn't even feel like the Raptors played defense outside of maybe, like, four or five possessions in the fourth quarter. I think they could do a lot better on that front. But uh, I wanted to start with last night's win and the positives. And, um, yeah, Raptors hitting season-high 23s. Joe Wolfmond, uh, are you surprised? Have you have you seen that out of the Raptors? There were entire weeks where the Raptors didn't hit 23s, so... That's got to be a positive. By definition, we have not seen that out of the Raptors this season. It was a season high. But uh, games like that are going to happen, right, where okay. where you get hot and knock down threes. And I think, I don't know, did you notice a huge difference in terms of the quality of shots that they, that they were creating? Maybe a little bit, but I feel like, if anything, that probably had more to do with the Hornets' defense and, mm. like, their complete inability to contain the ball at the point of attack. And I think the Raptors did a good job of taking advantage of that. They were penetrating and spraying the ball out and moving it and getting some good looks. But, you know, like we saw in the Cleveland game where they just went bananas from three, it's like that's going to happen sometimes, but it's not something that you can bank on. Like ultimately we have a a big sample size, like a half season's worth of evidence to tell us that this is not a good jump shooting team. So that doesn't mean that they're going to be a bad jump shooting team every single game, but it's not going to be a bankable formula for success moving forward yeah and with respect to your comment about whether they were actually creating better looks or not i'd argue the looks that they've been creating all season have been fine Mm -hmm. there are obviously issues with the half court offense and with shot creation in general for certain players but on the whole as an offense i think even if you look at a lot of sites that track like shot quality right like if you just shot the average nba percentage from where and how you're getting your shots i think the raptors are like 10th 11th so the shot qualities they're getting Right. Are fine. It's the fact that they're not making them, you know, between the roster construction issues and then also because the guys that you expect to make them haven't been making them. So um, at this point, it's almost like I'm not as impressed anymore when they're creating the good looks. I just need to, it's like I'm at the point where I need to see it to believe it that they will actually make the good looks that they're creating. Yeah. Even when good shooters are taking them. There aren't that many good shooters, is the thing, right? And it's. Like, how do you define shot quality? You know, like a lot of it has to come down to who's actually taking the shots. And if defenses aren't concerned about the players on the Raptors that are taking those shots, and if they feel a lot better about just crowding the paint and making sure Pascal can't get to his spots, then I don't know. Are you really creating good shots or are you doing exactly what the defense wants you to do at the end of the day? Yeah. No, I mean, look, that's fair. And and I think last night... um... I mean, the ball movement was okay, obviously. Again, I, I think you're, it's closer to your point where the Hornets just like offensively or defensively, they just don't have any cohesion. Maybe as a team on both ends, I just I was so unimpressed just they're, both ways. They're Rockets East, man. <sighs> they play a lot of dumb basketball. Basically. 
Who's who's gonna be there, Austin Rivers, to be like, hey, imagine being told by Austin Rivers, yo, you guys gotta play the right way. That's tough. Um, but yeah, I mean, just watching them though, I I did think that the shot quality was slightly better just because I think I think Fred took on a floor general type of role, right? Um, I thought Scotty was once again not necessarily looking for his own shot, but made passes out quickly. It was interesting watching him work the pick and roll a couple of times. It's sort of just him rolling to the basket and then spraying the passes back out. So, but I mean, ultimately, it really is just as a case of guys who hadn't been making shots this season, making a lot of those shots. And look, you know, there is a case for the fact that the Raptors have been really snake bitten with how poorly they've been shooting the three. I was reading the the Tim Bontemps article that he wrote when he came down to Toronto for a week and wrote this whole big thing. And one of the big takeaways he had was just like the Raptors were shooting like six percentage points worse per game on threes, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when you're taking like 30 to 35 threes, six percentage points is like you know, a substantial number. We're talking about three or four points per game. That is a big margin that determines a lot of these possessions. So, um, you know, I thought that was going to be a little bit positive. Um, but, okay, I'm going to try the next positivity quote at you guys. Uh, the, the season high 32 assists, uh, only fourth time this year the Raptors have recorded 30-plus uh, assists, which means one in every 10 games so far they record 30-plus assists. Uh, Scotty with seven, Pascal with seven, Freddie with eight. Um, Cash, yeah, I mean, just overall, I mean, the, the way they moved the ball last night, did you see any improvements that sort of led to that or was it mostly just shot making and that leading to a higher assist total again i think the biggest key was shot making because you're going to make shots for assists to be recorded but i'd say if we're talking positives and talking about um the playmaking side of things i think you have to talk about scotty barnes because this is something i tweeted last night too where it's like there were a lot of games through this first half of the season where Scotty Barnes would finish with something like seven points and only five field goal attempts, and it would be because he was just weirdly invisible for mm. 80% of the game. Last night was not a case of that. Last night was a really, really good Scotty Barnes performance that seven points, seven assists, and five field goal attempts does not accurately describe. Yeah. Right. And I think that's a positive for the Raptors. The fact that I'd say the last three, four weeks, I'd say probably going back to that Cleveland game before the Christmas break. And I know he's had some rough games since then, but since that game, I think he's shown a lot of the same signs that he showed last year. Um, And yeah, there's been a few games in between where, you know, he hasn't shown it until the fourth quarter, but I do think you're starting to see the consistency with him again, a little more often. And I do think there are positive signs outside of even his bigger scoring nights, like last night where he's impacting the game no matter what his final stats look like. And I think he was doing that last year as a rookie, and that's what was so impressive. And he wasn't doing that this year, right? And so I think, again, if you're looking for positives outside of just, hey, they made shots mm. um, on a lot of the same looks they've been getting all year, I think Scotty has to be exhibit A. Yeah, what have you been of Scotty in this, in this in this role? I mean, I pretty see it's, I've been talking about it a lot, but I think it's pretty significant in terms of like what, you know, this rookie of the year who obviously one day down the line will probably become like a franchise player for this team his growth and tracking it in the second year right now, um, he is playing a lot of this sort of like point center role, kind of distributing. Um, and yeah, Wolf, I just, what do you make of sort of his fit in that specific role right now? We know it's a bit of a compromise, yeah. uh, but at the same time, you know, he's he's had some positive showings, I think. I think it's been really interesting to watch him kind of diagnose the different types of coverages that he's seeing now, like the right. deep drops that teams are throwing at him. With him playing center, he's getting guarded by centers, and they're sagging way off of him. And I think we've kind of seen him in real time process how to best attack that coverage. And like a, a perfect microcosm of that was the Bucks game where he scores zero points for the first 43 minutes of the game and then 
did basically all of the Raptors scoring in, you know, the back half of the fourth quarter and overtime because they sort of just started taking the space and attacking Brook Lopez at the rim. And there have been other games where he's, you know, used that space to pivot into dribble handoffs and work as a screener and get the ball moving side to side. And I think that's just been really fascinating because one of the things that at the end of last season, I was just so curious about and, and what was so fascinating about Scotty Barnes as a player looking ahead was I had no idea what type of player he was going to grow into. It seemed like there were so many different directions that he could go. There still are. But when you talk about him being a point center, it's like, you know, I, okay, is that going to be as sort of like a, a poor man's Giannis type who's handling the ball and running a lot of inverted pick and roll or like it's four out and he's just sort of driving the ball into the paint. You know, right now he's obviously nowhere near that level. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't have the ball handling chops. He doesn't have the kind of on the move playmaking, I don't think, to, to make that happen in the half court. Maybe that's still in the cards for him, but right now it almost seems more like a, like the the Marcus Ole role that I feel like some people wanted to see a little bit more from him, like a DeMontis Sabonis almost, where he's operating in the middle of the floor and kind of running through all these different reads and options where he is getting the ball moving side to side, where he is getting more guys involved and working as a, a wheel greaser. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that's that's a role that I could see him growing into as well. And maybe it's a hybrid where he's doing a little bit of both. But I think the fact that we're seeing him do this and get comfortable doing this against, a, you know, a dramatically different coverage than we've seen him face, like, in the, the early part of the season, I think that's a good sign. And you would like to see the scoring output tick up mm-hmm. in conjunction with that. But in terms of just, you know, facilitating quality half-court offense, I think it's been encouraging. Yeah, and I think even though obviously they're very different players, I'm not comparing their total styles. I do think I've seen a little bit of Draymond offensively in the way that Scotty can kind of tilt the defense from side to side. Like a possession is going one way mm-hmm. and the ball will get to Scotty in the middle and he's almost reading um, in real time what's happening and switching things on the fly and getting the ball to the other side. And now the Raptors are running this completely different action and it ends up working, but it's all because of Scotty's, uh, I guess, quick decision to kind of get the offensive possession and the opposing defense going the other way. And it's something you see Draymond do a lot where he'll do it like 15 times a game and there's nothing really to track it, but you see how it does affect the opposing defense and also how it keeps a possession that maybe is stalling out going. Yeah. That that decisiveness is really the key to that though, right? Like I thought yesterday was very quick with his passes. Totally. And early on when he was seeing that kind of coverage for the first time, I thought he was really indecisive and it was an absolute killer. You know, so many Raptors possessions were just, grind to a halt because he wasn't making those decisions quick enough and seeing him get more comfortable doing that again I think is a good sign but it's also I I would love to see it in like an offensive environment that's more conducive to Mm. to that like you what do you mean by that like more shootings well yeah and movement shooting in particular right like the reason that it works so well with Draymond in Golden State is like they can really use that uh you know, Caitlin Cooper, who who writes about the Pacers, talks about negative spacing, mm-hmm. right? Which is what the Pacers did for a long time with DeMontis Sabonis, where, okay, you're you're pitching the ball to the center who's kind of operating as the hub from the elbow and his defender's playing way off of him. You have movement going around him and cuts and guys like coming off for the DHOs. But if you don't have the movement shooting, then it's not going to really get the defense moving. Like they're not going to care. But if you have... Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole coming off of those dribble handoffs. Well, then that's really going to punish a defender sure. for sagging back, right? Yeah. 
And the Raptors don't really have that right now. I mean, they have Gary Trent and you would hope Fred Van Vliet. But if, if guys are shooting the way that they've been shooting this season, then I think they're still going to run into challenges. Yeah, and, and you know what? I think to, for, for Scotty too, it's just like, it's, it's about him adapting to each specific moment, right? Because it's not like he was drafted to a team, you know, like the Rockets that we talked about, or even like the Hornets, for example, where if you get put on these teams, you got the ball in your hands, and it doesn't even matter necessarily if you win or not. We're just trying to get you to workshop through everything, and we're going to eat the losses, right? And the games don't matter. He's, he got drafted into a winning team with a, with a winning culture, with a winning environment, with a bunch of guys who have literally won titles. And, you know, they're trying to continue that winning. And so when that is happening, you have to adapt, like, your role specifically to what's going to happen, uh, you know, for the Raptors to actually win these games. And so wh- when we're sort of describing the role right now, we're not saying that long-term Scotty's going to be, you know, a center, right? I-, I don't think that at all, really. I think that the more he develops his ball handling, the more that the roster continues to change, he can sort of pivot into different roles. And the fact that he's able to adapt is actually a really promising sign for me. At the same time, though, I'm also, you know, been very curious to sort of track how it's working because, to be honest, the Raptors are very much in this moment where they're like, there's this urgency to win these games and to maybe see if they can sort of not save the season but show enough as a, as a roster where the team and the management chooses to keep it together rather than breaking it apart. So at that point, it's really just about winning. When you go through everybody's quotes – you know, I was just down at practice. Everyone just talks about how hard they got to play towards winning right now. And and I think this is a role that I think everyone has been fairly happy with Scotty playing on the team, on the coaching staff. And of course, down the line and even within the course of games, you'll probably see a lot more scoring. But I actually had no issues with how he played last night. It was it was perfectly fine. You know, I think the other thing that's been interesting um, is the last two games, the Raptors bench has been a positive. In fact, the Raptors are playing four bench guys at once. And it's a super, super weird lineup. And they're winning with that. Uh, we saw them win two shifts last night, both in the second quarter and in the fourth quarter, with a combination of Gary Trent alongside Malachi Flynn, Precious Achua, Chris Boucher, and Christian Coloco. It's very weird, but it's working so far. And I wanted to hear if either of you had thoughts on how this new bench combo is going. So it's actually their second most used lineup over the last two games. Okay, there you go. They're After the well. starting five. And it's... In an obviously very small sample size of 12 minutes together, a net rating of plus 59.2 per 100 possessions. Now, again, one small sample size, two, not exactly a murderer's row of opponents on the other side. They've done this against largely the Hornets bench and the Blazers bench. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if they can keep it up. But, I mean, as silly as it seems or maybe as nonsensical as it seems, I think you just have to take the positive at this point because this team has been so starved for positive bench minutes, for depth, for lineups that can function without both and or at least one of Fred or Pascal on the court. And Mm -hmm. if they have stumbled into a lineup that allows those guys to sit an extra few minutes, like I think you actually mentioned it on your postgame show last night, but they didn't have to bring Pascal back into the game last night until what, the six-minute mark of the fourth quarter? When this season, in a game the Raptors are actually in the game or end up winning, have they been able to do that? Right. Maybe never. So it, it's hard for me to say whether I actually believe in this lineup because in, in theory, when I'm thinking about like all of Boucher, Achua, and Coloco on the court, and then Flynn as well, who I haven't been impressed with. Oh, buddy. Like, I got some bad if, Malachi stats for you. If, if I look at that lineup, my gut reaction is just, well, it'll survive as long as Gary Trent can carry them, basically, yeah. with his shot making. 
But then you look at a game last night, and it's like, well, that wasn't really the case. They survived kind of with their energy and what they were doing defensively. And yes, some Gary shot making too, but a lot of what they were doing on the other end and pure energy. And maybe against a lot of bench units out there, they can actually survive because you don't need them. Again, plus 59 per under possession is just a joke. Like, that's insane. You don't need them to do that. If they can even play their minutes even or close to it with yeah. the way the Raptors starters usually perform, like that will keep them in games. And that's all they need from a bench unit right now. Like they're so starved for competent bench play. Just being relentless on the glass too, right? Like that was how right. they survived with a lot of those lineups last season where they were playing pretty much all six, nine guys with no traditional point guard out there as they just hammered the offensive glass mm-hmm. and they kind of made it work. But they've pretty much done that the last couple of games. Precious Achua also shoots three for three from deep last game where I think he'd hit five threes all season coming in. So again, that helps. That uh, really helps. Not necessarily something you can bank on every game, but man, if he can find that three-point stroke, like that was so huge for him down the stretch last season. Immediately after he had two drives that uh, oh should have had God. circus music behind them. It can only ever be a roller coaster with him. You, you just got to ride it. No, he chooses the most chaotic option possible. Like even yesterday, he had a drive where he attacked the closeout. The ball like squirted above his head somehow. He collected, grabbed it, took two steps, and, and then dunked, dunked the ball. And I was like, how did this play happen? But that's kind of that style. And I think, you know, your point about the possession battle is really starting to, um, you know, bear out. Because I think for a lot of parts of this season, the Raptors weren't using the same formula or able to replicate the same formula that got them successful last year. And I think that, you know, right now, especially with the way Nick is choosing to deploy them, because he could easily just go with Precious and Chris as your 4-5, which worked last year. But instead, he's actually using them as your 4 and the 3 with Christian Coloco also at the center. Now what you have, and he's using them in a zone as well. So it's yeah. like he's making this very simple for them, right? You have these certain spots. You go to these spots. And then you, like, go protect the basket. And, of course, rebounding is a bit of an issue when you're in a zone. But it's not an issue when you have three super athletic, you know, front court guys out there at once. And you essentially have all three of these guys stationed either one in the paint and then two on the baseline. You're blocking a lot of shots with that group. And also, at the same time, you're winning a lot of offensive rebounds. And listen, the offense is not the way that group is going to win, right? Gary Trent might get his way into a couple of shots here or there. It would really help if Malachi wasn't four of 29 on the field from the last seven games. Four of 29. But... At the same time, you have this, like, solid foundation with those three frontcourt guys. And my question is just, like, is it going to be more sustainable against better opposition? Because, like, let's be honest. Like, who's the best bench player they've seen against Portland or against Charlotte? Yeah, and that's the thing. And it's not even – I think about what Cash was saying about how they were able to roll with that bench and keep the starters' minutes, all of them basically under 36 minutes. And I wonder if they would have had the conviction to do that if it was like the exact same score, exact same situation, but they were playing like a, a quality team. You know what I mean? Where yeah. It almost felt like last night, it's like, okay, we're going to do this. If we can't beat the Hornets keeping our starters minutes under 36, then what are we even doing here? Yeah, fair. You know what I mean? So like they, they could afford to give it a little bit longer leash because they know the opponent they're playing is not a totally serious opponent. <laughs> And it's either going to be... Hornets are giving poor Steve Clifford an ulcer, man. Jesus. I'm sorry. They're the worst team in basketball right now. Like, that's... And specifically, they're the worst defense in basketball right now. So... Aren't they also last in offense? They're either last or close to it in offense. (laughs) But that's like... They played a lot of the season without LaMelo. And with him him back, I think they're a lot better than that. But point being, it's like, okay, here are your two options. Either you ride this out. Yeah. You know, you keep the starters minutes down. And you can win because you know, you're playing a poor opponent 
or you can't and you lose and then you have some real decisions to make because, again, if you can't beat the Charlotte Hornets, the worst team in the NBA, while playing your starters less than 36 minutes, then you're not a good team. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do wonder if they were playing, you know, like the Celtics or the Bucks or the Knicks even, like any just, you know, quality opponent. Uh, w- would they have felt comfortable rolling with that unit for as long as they did? I do think Gary deserves a ton of credit for, oh, yeah. for keeping them afloat offensively. Yeah. Uh, I, I also do wonder whether it is sustainable when the competition ramps up. I say it's not. But no, but I but I think you could say that for a lot of teams, right? Like I Yeah, sure. Like we know the Raptors have issues when it comes to depth and finding functional bench lineups. Like that there's no excuse. That's just what it is. But I'd also say in their defense that I think most teams in the NBA would say we're more comfortable rolling out this funky bench lineup for longer stretches against Charlotte and maybe Portland than we are against Boston and Milwaukee. So from that perspective, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a fatal flaw. Mm-hmm. Um I'm more interested, like, can they can they repeat anything close to this against the other kind of average to below average teams in the NBA? Because if they can do that, that's half the league. Like, yeah. if this if this weird, funky bench lineup can tread water or do better than that half the night, like, you're winning. Yeah, and look, listen, there's there's two approaches, I think, that you can really take towards your bench, right? You can take one approach, which I think Nick took at the start of the year, where it's like, which of these bench guys can come in and supplement and try to play the same style as the starters, right? And you try to keep it going, and you have, like, three starters on the floor at once. You take, you know, some bench guys, and you just kind of keep that ball rolling. And it just really didn't feel like the Raptors had those guys. Each time they tried to do that, the level of play would just keep dropping. The other approach, which is what they're kind of doing the last two games, is just you have a bench grouping, and you give them one starter who obviously is like a, you know, uh, very – combustible score and Gary who by the way in the last nine games is averaging 23 points per game on 47% shooting from the field 44 from three 91 from the free throw line and he's getting to the free throw line which is a new element to his game this season but you have this sort of essentially this bench grouping where they can sort of play together and it's sort of like a an entire curveball kind of look and that's where I'm curious to see Nick continue to go to it I think he will obviously this the the, the returns have been positive so far through two games but he is essentially just throwing a junk lineup out there where it's like, and I mean junk in like a, in like a nice way, like a, you know, yeah, like, like a nice like junk. Or a knuckleball. Yeah, yeah, it's a knuckleball lineup. Exactly, right? So you have these three centers who are playing for you in a zone and they're just going to win the paint and, and just at least try to do that. And, and you know, I think it's also interesting to me that Nick has chosen out of all the guys that sort of carry that group, he's chosen Gary to do it. That remind that almost makes me feel like right now – Gary's, Gary is the Kyle. Is he like a sec- yeah? He's he's like a secondary option. You know what I mean? Like because essentially that's what you're always trying to ask for. Obviously Pascal's the first option. There's no yeah. doubt about that. But who's the second option for me on the Raptors? I have no idea, right? But I think of late when you're choosing for Gary to be the guy featured with that group, that's what you would usually do with Kyle, who used to be the secondary option. Yeah. What have you made of Gary in that role? I think it actually makes a lot of sense. And I was going to say the reason I think Nurse and the coaching staff might have found something here with this formula is because. Like, if you remember coming into the year, right, Gary was supposed to be the sixth man. And we all talked about why his game translates so well to that sixth man type of role. He is a combustible scorer. Mm-hmm. You know, he's more of a gambler on defense, but a gunner. And- hey, you can gamble if you got three right. shot blockers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you've got a gambler on the perimeter with three big men behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, a gunner and a gambler uh, package is the ultimate sixth man. And 
also, when you look at that bench, like we're talking about Coloco, Achua, and Boucher. And then, like you mentioned Flynn's shooting numbers. I mentioned how unimpressed I've been by him. You could say their next best bench player is probably Fad Young. We haven't talked about a competent guard yet. And so this is why I think it actually makes sense that if they've just accepted, like we, we do not have any good guards outside of our two starters in Fred and Gary, why not have the one that is actually most suited to a bench role, the one that we wanted to be the sixth man coming into the year anyway, serve as a kind of quasi-sixth man, even though he's a starter, and he can carry these weird, funky bench lineups with his scoring. I think that formula might actually work, where it's Gary starts, but you also, you know, you stagger the rotations in a certain way where he's carrying these otherwise guardless bench lineups. Given the way this roster is constructed, that might be the only formula to end up with a competent bench. I think it also says to me that they kind of trust Gary to create his own offense more than they trust Fred to do that right mm. now. Which As makes sense, should. by the way, just based on the numbers and stats. It does. It, yeah. It's not what I would have expected coming into the season, but sure. that has certainly played out so far this year. So uh, I think that's that's part of what it says. And, you know, to the point about Flynn, I, I think the last time I was on this show, we were talking about, about his role, and I was actually kind of advocating for him to have a longer leash because... Well, Nick is... To that point, Nick has been super patient. Absolutely. I give him credit for that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, regardless of whether it's going to be Flynn or somebody else, it was never going to be tenable to keep playing Fred that many minutes, right? Like, mm -hmm. they, I thought we're going to run him into the ground. I don't know how much we can tie his struggles to physical attrition, but it's not, you know, it, it's not and never was going to be sustainable to be playing him, you know, upwards of 38 minutes a game. And so one way or another, they need to find a solution to that. And again, I give Nick credit for being patient with Malachi because that's, that's what I've been feeling like he needed, like just a longer runway to maybe play through some struggles and some mistakes and like build up some rhythm and confidence. And he's been given the space to do that. And yeah, I don't know anymore. Like it's been tough. He's, he, he's yeah. not really finding that rhythm that you would have hoped that he would have found with that, um, you know, extra kind of patience and playing time. And I think what's, what's frustrating to me about it is the value that he's providing is not really anything that he's doing with the ball in his hands. Like, the value that he's providing is mostly as a spot-up shooter, mm -hmm. which is important for this team that is starved for it, and he has for most of the season been shooting over 40% from three, but it does make me wonder if maybe you can just... Like, yeah, obviously, if Otto Porter had been healthy, that would have been great, right? Like, he could have been that guy who, who's providing that spacing without, you know, maybe compromising you to the same extent at mm -hmm. the other end of the floor that Malachi is. But it just seems like maybe they can find somebody else to, to fill that role. And the, the surplus ball handling that you would have hoped to be getting with Flynn as part of those transitional lineups hasn't really been there. Like, he's not creating a ton of advantages off of the bounce. Like, the pick-and-roll game that we thought was going to be the staple... Uh, you know, of, of his play as a complimentary guard in the NBA hasn't really borne out. And I think that's been the most frustrating thing. Yeah, and that's what, when we were here last time and when I was talking about why I wasn't, not that I didn't think he deserved a chance. I thought he at least sure. deserved a chance. But the reason I didn't believe he'd be able to do anything with it, it's, look, it's no fault of his own. It's just whether due to his size or some sort of physical limitations, he does not create those advantages on the offensive end. And this is something I've talked about before, where it's like if you, as a guard, in the NBA cannot consistently create advantages for yourself or your teammates. Like when you're handling the ball, it's kind of going nowhere. Mm -hmm. And on the other end, you're being taken advantage of because of your size. Like where's the value, right? Like 
Fred is a small guard, but Fred is a defensive beast for his size and that's, does so much off the ball offensively, defensively, that the fact that he's undersized and maybe can't finish inside or do it like doesn't matter because he's creating advantages another way. He's not being taken advantage of on the defensive end. With Malachi, like, those are very real issues. And I just, you know, again, nothing against them, but I struggled to see a role for him going forward as an NBA rotation player. Yeah, and they're giving them this chance. Like, they literally, the front office was like, Delano, you're going down to the G League. Yeah. Nick doesn't even have the option to play you. Maybe maybe, maybe Jeff Doughton, who's going to shuttle up and down, uh, is, is there as a reserve just in case anything happens. You never know, right? But, you know, when people are saying, like, yo, Jeff Doughton needs to get a look now, it's just like very much, I think, the, the subtext to me is just like, they're giving Malachi this chance. And look, I, I was super happy for him, man. I literally interviewed him. It was like, I was talking to him about, like, hey, you're playing really well. You're getting this chance. I hope you really keep it going. And I think literally since the interview, he's 429. Which is which the is Raptors tough. show curse. <laughs> it might be a curse. I don't know, but uh, to be clear, I'm I'm also not willing to go quite where Cash just went in terms of saying he doesn't have a place as an NBA rotation player. I don't know that he has that place with this team because to to talk about the pick and roll stuff that I mentioned and how like that's what he came into the league as like that was what he was supposed to be is like the sure. pick and yeah. roll savant, right? This Raptors team doesn't have the personnel to maximize that, I don't think. Like, they don't really have a, a role man. Like, I was saying to Cash even before we came on, like, Fred Van Vliet's kind of the go-to pick-and-roll screener on this team. Like, their, yeah. their thing is to run inverted action with, with guys like Pascal and sometimes OG and Scotty handling the ball and their smaller guys screening and flaring out to the three-point line. Like, they yeah. don't have a traditional rim runner who's setting screens and rolling hard to the rim and drawing in defenders with his vertical gravity. Like that just doesn't really exist on this team. And that makes it very hard for a pick and roll guard or a theoretical pick and roll guard like Malachi Flynn to kind of find his footing. Yeah. Last Tuesday, uh, Blake was, was in here and he, he dropped the stat that yeah, my jaw hit the floor when Chris Boucher didn't have a single made roll basket, like roll to the set a screen, roll to the rim, pocket pass, lob pass, whatever it is. Shovel pass. He now didn't got, have. Now he's got two. He hasn't yeah, had a, last night. He didn't have a single one for half the season, and then he had apparently he had one against the Bucks, which oh. no one remembers any baskets from that game outside of what Gary was doing and what what Scotty was doing. Uh, and then the one last night where he actually rolled to the rim for an and one. But you know, I think it is forcing other guys to sort of play in different roles too. That's why you're seeing Precious like go on his his little adventures and. You know, we got to live through that a little bit. But, but, like, honestly, if Malachi was, like, more effective offensively in this role with that group, maybe you would see Precious, you know, sticking more to a catch-and-shoot or attacking a closeout kind of thing. But ultimately, look, I, I like that they're giving Malachi this chance because at least now we can see definitively what we have, right? And he gave him chances when he was playing well, which is obviously easy to do. He's still giving him chances when he's not playing well, which is obviously not easy to do. So, you know, I mean... Couple of interesting things happening with the Raptors, and um, you know, we, we I tried very best, my very best, to highlight some of the positives after this thrilling two-game win streak over one very mid team and one very bad team. But on the other side of this break, we're gonna go through an exercise because everyone wants to essentially take the Raptors apart and trade some pieces. And I wanted to ask you guys who you guys would want to move um, if you had to move one. So we're gonna take a break. I've been your host, Bolu. You've been listening to the Raptors Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Have you checked out BetRivers yet? Download the BetRivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Get in the action this basketball season with thousands of betting options. Plus, don't forget about BetRivers sportsbook award-winning customer service. 
It's a whole new game with Bet Rivers Online Casino and Sportsbook. Must be 19 plus. Available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, please contact Connext Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lua. Continue to be joined by... Jessica Sharo and Joe Wolfon of the score. Listen to Pound the Rock. Oh, by the way, I forgot to get to this in the first half, but uh, Alex left me a note because he was diligently producing this episode. So it's to say shout out to Cash's parents, Frank and Maria. <laughs> What's going on? What's going on, Frank and Maria? How you doing? Well, yeah, Alex, uh, we had a, a birthday party for Ash, you know, you know yep. from, from the old score. And uh, anyway, Alex left his phone in the Uber. Mm. And this was right before the holidays. Right. So then Christmas Eve, I had to take his phone to wherever I was going. And I was at my parents' place and he had to come pick his phone up. So then he stopped in, uh, had an espresso and perhaps a beverage with my dad. And uh, yeah. What, what beverage? Uh, can we say that on air? Yeah. Well, why, why not? I think we had a cognac, a couple cognacs, baby. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. Damn. Nice. I got to leave my phone in your Uber sometime. <laughs> yeah. Like I was going to say, time. actually, that sounds great. No, listen, um, I just... Having been at Cash's house, it just uh, there's there's a certain hospitality that comes with being in a Kasharo household. You know what I mean? You're probably gonna get a really nice espresso drink. Um, you might you you might even get uh, a Negroni here and there. A couple of cognacs. I make uh, yeah. a mean Negroni. Yeah. So good. All right. Just that Southern Italian hospitality. It's a yeah. real thing. It is. It's a you've real been, thing. You've been. I've been. You were there I this was past there. summer, weren't you? I was at everywhere except for Calabria, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> next time though. Next time I'm going to Calabria and Sicily. Honestly, I, I love Southern Italy. Quite a bit. Um, okay. Oh, fun. You got anything to add? <laughs> I'm just anxiously awaiting my invite, man. Seems like every, everybody's been to the, the Kisharo household but me. <laughs> See, this is an invite right well, you, here. You this were is there. An we, we, uh, the first, oh, my place. You were at my place. So the first week they had the show, remember? Oh, that's what? right. That's true. We did that's the right. You did make me a delicious espresso. That was time. a very, behind the scenes, just, that was a very chaotic podcast recording. As someone who used to self-produce, obviously now we have a whole production team and I don't, I don't have to worry about that as much. But, um, yeah, we went to your house, and we had four people sitting around Cash's uh, kitchen island or something like that. And um, we each had our own laptops and each had our own mics, and we were all, like, selectively muting when one person was speaking so that it wouldn't overlap. It was an awful experience, and I had to send all the files to our producer, Derek, who was probably just like, what are you guys doing? You got to just add them in studio or something. It's so much easier here, but... Anyway, yeah, I appreciate you guys. It's a, it's, a, it's a roundabout way of saying Pound the Rock has always been a longtime supporter of the Raptor show. So. Uh, and vice versa. Right back at you. Yeah, of course. Okay, all right. Um, we are going to now take apart the team. All right, no more positivity. Positivity is over, right? We just talked about how great they looked, all the bench, you know, they're playing all these centers. We're taking apart the team. Was now. that positivity? I, I tried. I tried. I, I was like, we hey, got, season thought, high, 32 Until we assists. got to the Flynn talk, I think it was pretty positive. Yeah, fair. Um, okay, so my assignment to you guys was to, if you have to, move one starter from this group before the trade deadline or at the trade deadline, uh, who would it be? Um, so, yeah, Cash, I'll start with you. Who'd you pick and why? It's tough because, 
I mean, look, if you're asking if I absolutely had to move, yeah, on, yeah, yeah. It, this is not saying cash says, yeah, I know, I we know. are trading I know, whoever, I know, right? I, this is, I guess, you know, if you phrase it like that, it probably ends up, it has to be Gary because, okay, like Pascal and Scotty to me are the only two, like, surefire, I want them around for whatever is being built here. Mm. Um, OG is probably next in line for me. Now, the one thing I will say with OG is if the reports are true about, uh, you know, the what, three first, like the reports that he can get something in the neighborhood of a DeJounte Murray, Donovan Mitchell package, then look, then we might have to do the, was it the Liverpool fans or who, the Arsenal fans? Uh, a famous meme, time to go. Oh, <laughs> yes. that's whoever that was. So, uh, you know, I want OG to stay, but if that's the package, then it might be time for that meme. But no, mm. I, and then Fred, you know, I think there are a lot of questions with the next contract and stuff, but I still do think that on balance, in terms of everything he does on an NBA court, Fred's probably more valuable game to game than Gary is. Plus, when you consider the contract Gary's about to sign, which don't get me wrong, he's earned that and his shot creation and shot making and tough shot making on this team in particular are extremely valuable. But the way I'd view it is that in an ideal world, if you start to construct this team in a more functional way going forward, that you shouldn't be as desperate for his shot creation and shot making going forward. And therefore... And you consider the deal he's about to sign, and I think they can replace what he does easier than some of those other guys, he'd be the guy. What kind of deal do you think he's going to be in line to sign, Gary? I mean... I'd say, like, four years, $100 million is, like, the floor, uh, what he's going to get. Uh, uh, the floor? The floor, yeah. So you'd expect that or higher? Well, we saw Tyler Hero sign for $30 million more than that. I, Tyler I think Hero's, Tyler Hero's a better Tyler Hero's player. better than Gary Trent. Okay, but is he $30 million better to, to I, me? I don't necessarily think that that's the way that you should be looking at it as like oh is he 30 million like because the heat needed to retain him no matter sure. what yeah no that's fair he had all the, the leverage in the world and to be honest tyler's having a nice season for miami like it's you know he's he's been great he's been great um but i mean you know similar types of players i mean you could put jordan Poole in that conversation as well i will say i think both those guys are way better playmakers than gary is. that's fair like, that's fair Straight up. So how and, much do you think Gary gets? I mean, four a hundred sounds about right. I, yeah. Pegging that as the floor seems aggressive to me, but I could see him. Like, what What was the Buddy Heald contract a couple years back? I know it's a different cap Man, environment. That, now, ended, up that be, like, ended up being a bargain because, like, Buddy Heald for I next year. it was, like, 480? Yeah. It was, like, 488 or something. Next yeah. year, he's, he's under contract for less than 20. Like, yeah. 19. Yeah, because it, yeah, it was a declining um, But the thing I'd say with Gary is that and I think you can make the argument for a lot of these guys, and I think the front office might agree, even if you look at Masai Ujiri's track record, is that maybe you just sign him and you retain the asset. Not, you yeah. know, I know we don't like talking about players as sure, assets sure. things, but that's the way you'd look at it from a business perspective. Like, you just retain the asset, and then you yeah. make a move later. Which, because by he, the way, has always, that's be, always been the way that Masai that's has what I'm operated. Saying. The track record, you know, shows that. So, again, I if preferably that's the way I'd go about it. But for the purposes of this exercise, really have to trade one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gary would be the guy. No, that's fair. I think the question you got to ask yourself is like, what can you get for Gary right now? If you're not committed to Gary long term, what can you get for him right now? And how much is that value right now as compared to if you had re-signed him to a four-year, let's just say four years, 100? Because I think that is a reasonable deal for him. Could you get more for Gary when he's on a four-year, $100 million deal than can you get for him right now as an expiring making 16, 17, you know? And that, that that is the question. That is that's I think I think you might be able to just given his age. Okay, well and, then retain him. Yeah. You know, it's clearly he fits. I, I think that's the part for me where it's like when Nick was talking about, you know, you either fit us or you don't, which by the way, I mean like, don't 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 say that. That's that's kind of rude. 
Um, at least not publicly. You know, just no need. Like, what was the need for saying that? Now we could just quote this over and over again. But, um, you know, I think that that question has been answered. He fits. In fact, right now, the Raptors are essentially using him as a number two option. Yep. So he clearly, clearly fits. I'd also say kudos to Gary for taking those comments in yep. stride. Mm-hmm coming out and playing better since then. And also, I think, if I'm not mistaken, he made a comment at the time essentially saying, like, he's fine with getting that kind of criticism for Co- because he understands, like, he hasn't done anything in the league yet. I, I'm pretty sure it was that, him That's exactly said what he that. said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, not every player is wired that way. So, again, just kudos to him for taking it in stride like that, taking it as constructive criticism, looking at it as, like, there's still a lot more I can do and prove in this mm-hmm. league. And so far this season, going out and doing it and proving it. Yeah, I recommend everybody who... Um, is watching or listening to this show, after you listen to the show, go listen to the Raptors practice scrum today. Gary Trent Jr. spoke, and there was a lot of questions about sort of his role, and obviously he's playing well right now, so the pos- the questions were positive, but his approach towards that interview and sort of the answers that he was giving and how serious he was about sort of putting in the work and being positive regardless of what the results are was very, very refreshing to hear. I actually really enjoyed and appreciated Gary's uh, interview there. Okay, so anyway, you're moving Gary. That's fine. Um <laughs> Joe? Yeah, I mean, just to quickly piggyback on that, I think Gary deserves a ton of credit, not only for for taking that kind of criticism in stride, but really focusing on rounding out his game and, like, improving mm-hmm. in the areas he needed to. Is he, he not slightly to. passing better? Yeah, maybe slightly. Okay. Like, that's clearly... I'll take slightly. That's fine. That's That's clearly still a deficiency in his game, right? Right. And that doesn't have to matter if you're just, you know, uh, either, like, a bench gunner or you are like a two guard who's being asked to be a, a play finisher and not necessarily have to initiate or even connect possessions. Like if he, if he continues scoring the way that he has been, where like his two point percentage right now is by far the highest of his career. A lot of that, it's not so much like getting to the rim and finishing at the rim more that I think he's been like a little bit better at Apparently that. Apparently he's shooting 71% within like zero to three feet wow. at the basket, which is, very high for yeah. him, obviously. But I, to, to me, just watching, I feel like it's the kind of in-between stuff that's been so much better. Like, mm, right. like much better floater game, like a little bit more accurate from the mid-range. Getting to the free throw line more than he ever has before. So a more well-rounded scorer. You know, like, I, again, sure. he, I maybe he was passing a little bit better and a little bit more willingly than he has in the past, but that's, like, still a clear weakness to me. But yeah, a, as a scorer, I do think he's made meaningful strides this year. And that's been really nice to see. Uh, my answer to this question, and maybe it's going to sound like a bit of a cop-out, because honestly, if it were up to me, I think I would strongly consider trading both Gary and Fred. Okay. Because as I have said to Cash before, I think the way that I am conceptualizing this, looking at the rest of this season and toward the future, is the goal should be to maximize the competitive window where ideally the primes of Siakam and Barnes overlap. Okay. And I don't know when exactly that's going to happen, but you hope that there's going to be a scenario, a couple year window maybe where Pascal's still in his prime and Scotty is kind of entering his sure. And OG could be there as well and be part of that. But in order to maximize that, I think what they need is like a legitimate lead guard. And Fred is a fantastic complimentary guard who I think under the right circumstances could still fit that core mm-hmm. exceptionally well but i don't know that you can actually like there is there a path to acquiring that type of lead guard with fred still around in terms of, like the cap sheet but also like the assets that would be required to go and get that player that's what i'm not sure about so 
if you're thinking about, you know, a couple of contracts that you might not want to pay beyond this season, and then also, you know, if you're if you're not willing to pay them, do you just try and get what you can for those guys right now? I would think about trading both of them, getting as much back as you can in terms of prospects, draft capital, and being as well equipped as you can possibly be to like make that godfather offer for whatever type of, you know, Donovan Mitchell type of lead guard becomes available in the future. Like that's, you want to have that type of player to pair with Siakam and Barnes and maybe mm-hmm. Ananobi moving forward. The answer then, if you're only going to trade one of them, is which one can you get more for? That's it. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know the answer to that, but that's, that's what it comes down to. Do you think teams might look at it like Fred is also, he's won a championship. He's shown to be a positive presence in your locker room, right? Um, he has shown to uh, be successful both on and off ball. Off ball this year, less so, but I think in the past, obviously he's been very successful off ball. Do you think that they see that and value that more than right now, which is obviously Gary shooting a lot better than Fred? I guess it depends on the team. Okay. Um, but in a lot of situations, I would say, yeah, probably they would. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary's also quite a bit younger. Yeah. And maybe sure. teams view him as being on the upswing, whereas Fred is maybe. It, it almost looks like he's on the downswing a little bit. Just yeah, on the outside which looking at. I, I think the shooting, I, I keep saying this and it keeps not happening, but I do think eventually the shooting will rebound. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, the point of attack defense, things like that, like, I don't know. I think it's very possible that we have seen Fred Van Vliet play his best basketball already. And that doesn't mean that he's going to fall off completely mm. and that. This what we've seen from him this season is his new baseline, his new normal. But I, I think teams wouldn't necessarily be wrong to view it that way and think that there's a little bit more upside yeah. long term with Gary there than there is with Fred. Now, I think Fred is a much more complete player overall. If I was a team chasing a championship right now, Fred is the guy that I would look to acquire. Mm-hmm. But uh, again, I think it's, it, it totally depends on the team and sort of how like this is just completely off the top of my head but and I don't think uh, necessarily either of those guys are, are the type of player that a team like the Grizzlies would look to acquire but I think that's a team where yeah they're competing right now but also their core is young and right. so maybe they would think of Gary as the type of player who could grow with that core more so than Fred um and again I don't think that's the type of team that's sure. going to be looking at Desmond Bain yeah but I just mean like a, a team with a, a bit of a longer runway whereas yeah. like I don't know the Lakers who could potentially talk themselves into getting back into that competitive mix this season, I think they might prioritize somebody like Fred, who has that championship experience, who does really know how to play off ball and could be a great compliment to LeBron James. You know, like, that's that's why I say it, it kind of depends on the team and what their priorities are in the short and long term. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I only have, like, three minutes for this. But um, my answer, if I had to move one of the starters, I'm looking at sort of like right now, how do you maximize Pascal Siakam's window? And to me, the one of the clear problems is, and this is a problem whether or not they draft someone effect, uh, that helps them next year or not, because I don't really think that outside of drafting Wambanyama and, and, and Scoot Henderson, none of those guys are coming into the year and changing your bottom line. Maybe three, four years down the line when they develop and grow, that's different. But the problem to me right now is that the Raptors have two huge weaknesses and they need to trade from a position of strength to address those weaknesses. And there's not a lot of players on the team that can get you back to starter level players or even a starter level player and then a rotation caliber level backup. 
And to me, when I'm looking at all those factors put in together, I'm looking at an OG Ananobi, who is obviously very painful to, to part with somebody who you've grown to this point, who is a very effective three-point shooter. We saw that last uh, night, obviously knocking down six threes, who can guard any position in the league, and he's your shutdown wing, and he, he's on the floor so that Pascal doesn't have to guard anybody like that and that Scotty doesn't have to guard anybody like that. And the point is, though, that's where he actually has that value. When I look around the league, a Denver Nuggets, with OJ Anobi, they, they might be the favorites out of the West, right? A Memphis Grizzlies with OJ Anobi, they might be the favorites out of the West. You know, you look at, you know, just you go across the board, the Golden State Warriors, right? Like all Cavs. these teams, the Cavs. Oh, my God, the Cavs are so like, starved for star- like every small single, forward. Minutes. Exactly. Every single contender wants OJ Anobi, and his contract is low enough right now at about $17 million, where there's enough salary that they can sort of piece together to sort of get back a guy like OG. And so that's why you hear OG's trade value being that high. You could get prospects and you could probably get one or two guys who can benefit your rotation right now, right? Because you, the comparable was the Donovan Mitchell package. Not only did the Donovan Mitchell package include three unprotected picks, it included Laurie Markkinen, who's obviously been a huge contributor in, in, in the mix for All-Star, and also even a Colin Sexton, right? And that's the kind of thing I would look for right now. If you were to try to move one of the starters, which is this exercise, that's what essentially you would look for, right? Obviously, there's a better case for trading Fred because he's underperforming. There's a better case for trading Gary because I think that these guys are both, you know, about to walk in free agency if you don't obviously pay them. But with OG, you have to think about, okay, if you keep OG around and you move forward next year and he still stays the same kind of player, well, did the man around him, would it surprise you if OJ and Obi made the max? And at that point, would you want to pay OJ and Obi the max? Yeah, right? no, so you might have to be very prudent and look at this specific situation. I am not personally advocating the Raptors should trade OJ and Obi. Yeah. In this exercise, though, what, what makes the most sense to me would probably be that because of the fact that he brings you back the most in return. I'm not trying to trade somebody to get rid of them as a problem. I'm trying to trade somebody to get the most back in return. He's that guy right now. Yeah, and the Raptors, do, if they want to get back into title contention, they need, they need to get creative in finding answers. If they want to get into title contention anytime soon with, you know, to your point, uh, or I can't remember which one of you said it now, the Siakam and Barnes primes overlapping, mm-hmm. then you got to get creative and make a move like that in yep. the next year or two max. So OG is the best option for that. Yeah, yeah. and we talked about this when you were on Pound the Rock a few weeks back about mm-hmm. how, yeah, you don't want to trade OG and Obi, but you also have to come to grips with the fact that there's a good chance that he's never going to have more trade value than he does right now right. on this contract. Yeah. And if you want to like dramatically remake the roster, that's not a bad way to go about doing it. I just think about what the Raptors' defenses looked like this year, and then I imagine what it would uh. look like without OG, and I just I quiver a little bit. <laughs> I feel you on Charlotte that. Charlotte Hornets ass. All right, that does it for us today. I've been your host, Will Loon. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Thanks again to Jessica Shaw and Joe Wolfon. Thanks to our board producer, Derek Brandale and Jennifer Rolnick for helping us with the YouTube stream. We'll be back tomorrow.